1: You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game.
0: This is the Power Producers Podcast, production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power?
1: Everybody is in for a massive treat today. We have the incomparable Mr. Bradley Flowers from the Insurance Guys Podcast and Portal Insurance with us. Bradley, it's awesome to have you here. For everybody uh, who's listening, Bradley and I have become fast friends. You know, the guy is extremely intelligent. He's a good marketing mind, a good podcasting mentor, and I wanted to get him on here. Not that he needs any exposure whatsoever, but wanted to be able to um, get him on here, talk shop a little bit. Bradley, it's great to have you.
2: Thanks, David. I really appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. And the other reason why I wanted to get him on here is because I was on the Insurance Guys podcast not that long ago. And I just didn't feel like Bradley got enough mic time, so we're going to give him a little bit today. And uh, Scott can't Scott can't infiltrate this platform, so (laughs) we'll have to have him on separate.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's I'm okay with that though because whatever he says is usually gold. So sometimes I just (laughs) shut up and listen, you know. But you know, I greatly appreciate it, man. You know, I did not uh, I did not, and David knows this story, but nobody else does. I did not know David the first part of this year and. And I did not get a chance to go up to innovation. I just had a lot going on around that time, and uh, I talked to a buddy of mine, and I was like, "Man, well, who was the best speaker?" And he was like, "Oh, dude, Carruthers, hands down." Uh, so I immediately sent David a friend request, and um, shortly after that, we got to do a Zoom together, and have been we pretty much talk almost every day through Facebook Messenger since then. So I'm uh, I don't know that I've ever been more excited
1: to do a podcast than to do this one. So. <laughs> Well, that means a lot, man. I'm glad to hear it. Um, you know, so one of the things that we were talking about, and you and I have talked about this before. Not, to, not that we're going to dive just headfirst into everything. Let's take a step back first, and let's talk a little bit about portal. Tell a little bit about your story because I think it's interesting. You grew up in a, from what I recall, and correct me where I'm wrong, but you grew up in a, a family that had a family-owned business, and you're not part of it.
2: Correct, correct, yeah. So my dad, uh, my dad's a contractor. Um, who's run a successful family business or a successful business for more than 30 years. Um, I don't know that I look up to or respect anyone more than, my, than I do. My dad has always been my hero. Um, I worked with him from the age of about 16 to 20. And, you know, he was real hard on me. Like he was he was way harder on me than any of the other employees. And I don't know, it just kind of turned me off from the business a little bit. So I, uh, I kind of decided to venture out on my own and 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 take a different route, you know, and uh, got into uh, was I was actually working for a cell phone store. If you remember, uh, David used to live in Alabama. Do you remember Southern Link Beat Beat Radios? I do. I worked for Southern Link Beat Beat Radios, which is actually a product of um, Alabama Power, which is the power. That's what radio.
1: I was. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That was part of Alabama power. And they spun it out to compete with Nextel.
2: So what they the reason they did that is because they all of their employees had them. So in order to justify the cost of giving them to their employees for free, they sold them to the public. And it was basically it was a purposeful loss. they were just trying to basically break even. And um, it was a it was not a great product. It was every customer was pissed off that I dealt with. I was working at one of these stores. Um, I was not the manager, but I was running the day to day operations and a buddy of mine that was selling life insurance came by and saw me handle angry customer, angry customer after angry customer, after angry customer with zero training. And he was like, man, if you can do this, you can sell insurance. And, and I told my dad, like I was telling him the other day, I was like, I don't even remember quitting that job. They may be still wondering where I am, but, uh, but quit that job somehow, and uh, I went to work for him selling life insurance. I was so green that um, the first day I asked the guy, I "said What's a full life policy?" And he said, "You mean a whole life policy?" Said, yeah, 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 a whole life policy. But um, I really liked the uh, I liked the thought of being a business professional, you know, as a pull on my lapels. I like feeling like a professional, feeling like a pro, taking care of people, that sort of thing. And that sort of evolved to uh, sort of fell in love with marketing and advertising. And I felt like I could make a significant impact not only in my business, my community, but also possibly the industry. So that's kind of what's what's kept me in it and kept me going.
1: That's a cool. That's a cool story. It's interesting. So you were in the life game for how long?
2: So I did that a year almost to the day. And about six months into that, I realized that PNC was where I wanted to be Um, for the simple fact of if I were to go to the top of a building, downtown Mobile and look out, literally everything you see is insured. It's all insured. And and I was like, man, like there's a real opportunity here because you have to buy it. And so that's what attracted me to PNC. Um, And so I went to work from there. I went to work for a state farm agent, Uh, basically took a pay cut. To go to work for it, because I did really well in the life insurance, took a pay cut to go to work for a state farm agent to learn PNC. I kind of looked at it as a sabbatical. Um, Did that exactly a year. And then after that, I went to work for a company called Alpha Insurance, which is essentially Alabama's version of Farm Bureau. For those of you that aren't familiar in the area we were in, we were sort of pseudo independent. Um, and that's where semi-independent and that's where we, where I kind of got my marketing chops and they, Alpha really did a good job the first few years of allowing me to kind of spread my wings and do my own thing marketing wise and did a lot of consulting corporate wise with them, helped them with a lot of stuff. And, um, and so, uh, about, about three and a half years in, um, I started the insurance guys podcast with my buddy Scott. And we just started it fun, just no purpose. We, it was just the one box that I hadn't checked social media wise. And so I was like, yeah, let's do a podcast just to say we did a podcast. And um, that sort of evolved until we realized that we could actually get connected with people who were in power. And that's one thing that I love to do is I just love connecting with people. Right. Um, you never know when that relationship may pay off. And so. We use the podcast as a vehicle to get to know people like Chris Paradiso, like Bob Klinger, our buddy Ryan Hanley. Um, and what essentially happened through that process is not only did I get an MBA in how to run an independent agency, I also became privy to a lot of technology and a lot of things that's kind of on the forefront that's coming. And I tried to implement that in, my, in the agency I was running at Alpha And as you know, I ran into some corporate red tape, as you would with any corporation, and I did a year and a half or two years of kind of fighting that and combating that and finally said, you know what, screw it, I'm just going to do it on my own. So I quit that job January 8th of of 2019, um, open portal insurance, and uh, it's been uh, pedal to the metal ever since.
1: So it's interesting that, you know, you made the comment and I certainly agree with you that it opens the doors for you to meet a lot of people, get a lot of intel and all of that. But, you know, one of the things in the very short time we we launched Power Producers April 1st, one of the very uh, in a very short time, what's amazed me is the exposure that our guests have gotten from being on the show. And I mean, it's just been time after time after time. Some of that stuff I hear immediately because we did an episode with David Lefevre, who works specifically with us to program HubSpot, and people heard his story, heard him on the podcast, and they're reaching out to him to see if he can help them. But I got an email from Josh Gurley, who was on the episode that we released last week, And, um, you know, I joke with them usually, and and you saw this last night, usually when I'm going to ask somebody to come on, I'll say, hey, are you ready for me to make you famous? Or are you ready for me to make you a cartoon is typically what I ask them, because everybody loves the artwork that we do. Right. That's which is exactly what I wanted to have happen. Now, people are like, hey, I really want to get a cartoon of me. Can I have that? And um, Gurley sends me an email yesterday or the day before that said, I just I really have to thank you, man. He goes. I've had over 10 calls from people that have reached out to me after being on the show. And he said, I just got a call from a company rep for a carrier that I have wanted to work with and has turned me down consistently. And they basically heard me on your podcast and they're the rep for my area reached out, apologized for the past and gave me a contract like almost on the spot. And so, you know, I wouldn't have
2: gotten, I don't think any of my direct appointments in the beginning, had it not been for my podcast, either the carrier reps, listen to it, which that's usually an automatic, like, okay, we're getting this right. Or, um, Hmm. someone that we interviewed connected me, you know? Um, so it's, it's been, you know, and from a sales standpoint, talking about your HubSpot guy, I literally, if you're trying to sell a product to a niche, And you're looking where to spend your ad dollars. I literally don't know a better way than finding a podcast that has a good audience with that niche and spending ad dollars to do a pre-roll or to be a guest. And I say that it sounds biased, but it's not biased. It's because I've seen it happen with our show. I've had people sponsor our show that we have literally tried to turn away and say, don't give us your money. And they forced us to do it anyway. And they gave us sponsorship dollars. And within two hours, they've made their money back. You know, I don't think, you know, I had a buddy one time that was looking at sponsoring bigger pockets and he did habitational. And I was like, and they wanted like five grand. And based on the math, I was like, dude, that's like $50 every thousand person or $25 every thousand people. You've got to do that. You've got to do it. And I don't think there's a better way because it's there forever. It's Yeah, I
1: agree. You know, in blogging is very similar. It's not, you don't have the captive audiences long, when you're, you know, when you're blogging, but content marketing as a whole, and and part of the reason why it's so good is because it's trackable, right? You can look at all the stats and you can see, you can look at bounce rate on a website. You can see average time on page, how many pages visited. You can hone in on the geographic demographics. You can look at the, you know, the demographics of the people who are visiting your site, then you're capturing email addresses. So you have marketing power that way. But, you know, it's interesting because, if you think about it this way, think about how much money people pay to have a Super Bowl advertisement. Mm-hmm. And you know, they they have to there's no honing in on that demographic. The assumption, I think, is everybody's watching it. So we're gonna just get our ads out there and get brand recognition. When you're dealing with podcasts or blogging or any of that stuff where you can actually get the analytics, the level of detail that you can drill down to specific to that niche. Is worth its weight in gold. If you were to come to me and say, you know, say I'm a, a mommy blogger and you want uh, people that are 22 to females that are 22 to 44 years of age so that you can get your stuff in front of them because you've got a product that appeals to that, that mommy blogger can go to Google Analytics or if they're really sophisticated, they have a PR kit that's got all of the stats for everything and they can go to that person in command about whatever price they want because they know that it's going to get immediate penetration to the targeted demographic. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of agencies miss that, man. There's a lot of people in our industry that just don't do it. And I couldn't disagree with that more.
2: Yeah. Well, I think, too, with the podcast, we may have talked about this, but the listeners may not have heard this. Your average podcast listener makes more than $250,000 a year.
1: I did not realize that. Interesting. interesting. If you
2: take, here's here's a better stat. If you take the top 10 most watched videos on Facebook ever, and you look at the audience retention stat, the average retention on those videos is 70 seconds. So the average the average viewer on the top 10 most watched videos ever on Facebook average retention 70 seconds or something in that ballpark. I don't remember the exact number, but it was it was less than a minute, or, or, or less than two minutes. Um, if you take all of the videos on Facebook ever, I think the average retention was like something like eight seconds. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you take every podcast on Apple and average the the average retention, it's thirty-seven minutes. Huh. To me, that's crazy. That tells me everything I need to know about podcasting. Is that number going to be smaller? Yeah, absolutely. But. I mean, it's just, you've just got a much more quality audience. So, I mean, I, I talked to a guy the other day um, in Texas who has an, he's an insurance guy, has niche in, in contractors. He's like, what do you think I should do? I said, I think you should do one of two things. I think you should do ac- exactly what we've done with the insurance guys in the construction industry, or I think you should find that podcast in the construction industry and offer to sponsor it and maybe they'll let you be a guest. You know, every industry has the Ryan Hanley's of the industry. Those people that everybody knows find those people and interview them and slowly try to make yourself a thought leader in the construction industry. And guess what? You happen to sell insurance to contractors.
1: Yeah. Oh, that was an accident. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. You know, it's funny because, you know, Hanley obviously has a really solid content game. He and I go back and forth. I, you know, I talked to Ryan several times, a day most days. I joked. I was on his podcast episode that dropped yesterday, and I told him, if a day goes by that I don't hear from Hanley, I know that I need to go get inside his head and talk him off the cliff because something's going on that's got him not paying attention to business.
2: I I heard that too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, but the thing is, um, when when people look at Ryan, I think, sometimes, and they look at that as a insurmountable goal to be able to get content out at the rate which Ryan gets content out and i don't i don't think that's accurate it's not insurmountable it's actually really really easy when you understand how to create content from the ground up and then leverage resources to get as much out of that content as you can and you know i'm not as smart as Ryan when it comes to that stuff I tend to have to screw up on things a few times. I eventually figure it out. But, you know, my association with Ryan and helping him get his agency up off the ground in commercial insurance has led to my content game getting a heck of a lot stronger. I already, you know, I understood what I needed to do. Mine wasn't the what because the what made it to where you will always have that excuse that you're too busy to do it. It's the how. And once I figured out the how it made life a lot easier. So my question to you would be assuming that I don't know 85 or 90% of the producers or agencies out there aren't really doing much from a content marketing uh, standpoint to build their brand. Where would you tell them to start?
2: I would tell them to start by documenting what's going on. What are you dealing with today? you dealing with a customer that had a really, really good experience. Figure out a way to strategically document that, maybe a blog, maybe a testimonial, maybe you shooting a video and changing the names and the gender of the person so they don't know you're talking about them. Document what's going on. And and the first step, if you're doing nothing, the first step is your brain always has to be working in the back thinking, "Okay, how can I turn this into a piece of content? You know, I went to Jersey Mike's for lunch today and I thought to myself, huh, it'd be really cool for me to take a selfie and say, hey, support local. Right Now, does that provide a ton of value? No, but that's somewhere to start. That's a good place to start. Document what's going on in your day. And the flip side of that is, is the reason reality TV is so popular is because people want to know what's going on behind the scenes. They want to know how the sausage is made. They want to know how the donuts are made. Right? They like seeing that kind of stuff. Show them who you really are. Be your transparent, real self. And everything else is going to take care of itself. And then you would develop your process. And you've got to have a process to it, right? I have a process. I'm sure Hanley has a process, right? You have a process. You know, I'm screen recording this podcast because I may say something on here that I can turn into a piece of content. I'm going to get done with this. I'm going to send it to my video editor. He's going to break it down and turn it into three or five different pieces of content, you know?
3: That's good stuff. I think the hardest part for people is, is just getting started is figuring out a place to it start. It's like going to, you know, going to the gym and working out. The toughest part is is actually getting your ass off the couch and getting there. Right.
2: I was talking so. to a commercial real estate agent this morning that stopped by our office. So we're doing a thing here at the office. I've built out sort of a makeshift video studio. Um, but it's way better than most video studios. Cause most people don't have a video studio. I built out a little video studio in the back of my office and we're offering it for free to any business owners in the area who want to come shoot a video. And that includes realtors. So we had a realtor here this morning. That's one of the only commercial real estate agents in the area that's under the age of 85. And, um, <laughs> and he was like, man, what do you, what do you think I should do? I said, and he was sitting here telling me about all these referrals he was getting from other realtors who didn't want to fool with commercial. I said, I think you should create content that's geared towards residential realtors in regards to commercial real estate. And he said, what do you think I should do? I said, I think you should put out content on, hey, here's my biggest tip when you're trying to sell commercial real estate. Give them advice on how to sell commercial real estate. That's going to get their attention because people want to learn. But the other thing that people don't want to do is they don't want to take action. And what's going to happen is you're branding yourself in their head by being this guy that's so, so, so helpful, but it's like, man, I don't want to take the time to learn this. I'm just going to send it to this guy. You know, it's like Chris green with the flood thing. I could learn flood, but it's a whole lot easier for me just to ship it
1: to Chris green. And I know it's going to get handled. What's funny because I was actually getting ready to bring Chris up because we were talking about, um, I was talking with Chris not that long ago and you know, he's obviously a content animal. Um, it's, like next, like next level for in terms of how much he just puts out, but it works. Right. And his whole thing was he had, he was competing on a deal where um, the the client or the prospect basically went to the other person that was representing him and said, look, this guy has over 700 pieces of content on the internet about flood. I'm going to go ahead and go that direction, you know, just because it could have been complete crap. It's just the actual presence. Right. And, you know, if you have that presence established, you automatically have people thinking that you're a thought leader. You know, Marcus Sheridan's book, They Ask, You Answer, is really the basis everybody should follow for where to start, in my opinion. If you're a producer out there, every time you're in a meeting, you should be paying attention and taking notes of what the person's saying. If for nothing else, then to make them think you're paying attention and taking notes to what they're <laughs> saying. Yep. But what you're really doing is you're paying attention to the questions they ask, the things that come up, the pain points that they experience. And I can leave any meeting. If I'm in a meeting for an hour with the prospect, if I can't leave with at least 10 pieces of content from that meeting, I have failed miserably. Yep. Forget going and closing the deal. They're telling you what they need, what you need to be talking about. And if one person asks that question, you can be sure plenty of other people have that same question.
2: Yeah. So I have a a thing I cover in when I give keynote presentations. One of my my main keynotes is my four best content creation tips. And number two is what I call the two question rule, which is exactly that. Have a piece of paper or a Google doc on your computer. Every time somebody asks you, every time two customers ask you the same question, make a piece of content on that. Like if you're not sure if the whole document thing isn't quite, like you can't quite get your brain to work like mine does. Every time you get asked the same question twice, make a piece of content into that.
1: Yeah. You know, one of the other things too, and it's something I've challenged the producers in our agency to do is I've got, you know, I've got guys that are relatively green and we're stuck in the middle of COVID right now. So they're not out cold calling because we can't. And now that COVID's basically, you know, sort of run its course for all practical purposes here, we're dealing with all of the other unrest that's going on. So we have curfews and there's parts of town you don't want to be in right now. Um, just because of all of the activity that's going on. So I challenged him two months ago. I said, every day before you leave, I want a new blog. I want you to find something that you don't know about, that you don't understand, that you need to know about, or something you really want to dive deep on. And this guy has, over the course of the last couple months, basically provided me with 50 pieces of content. Now, I understand what that's going to do for him going forward when we start publishing that and getting it out, getting it optimized, make sure that the keywords and anchor text are all right, that we have the inbound and the outbound links and all of the stuff that you have to do from an SEO perspective. But as an agency principal, I also educated this guy. I, I forced him to go educate himself in a way that he probably wouldn't have otherwise. So you're killing two birds with one stone. You mentioned process. Process is huge. Process is what allows volume to go out and making sure that you have the, you know, multiple uses of a single piece of content. Why don't you talk about your process a little bit?
2: Yeah. So uh, my process, so I have a video editor, a video guy that I hired last year about, uh, and so th- here's the thing, like you got to make it a priority, Right. You don't need to be an insurance agent or a business owner and, oh, I happen to do content. No, they're both equal to me, right? Because I would not be sitting here in an agency that I own if it wasn't for me starting to put out content in 2013. There's no way you can convince me otherwise. You've got to make it a priority, right? So in August of last year, I was like, okay, either my business is going to suffer or I've got to hire somebody to help me put out content. And so I hired a guy to help me do that. And I'm a big believer in hiring against your weaknesses. Right. And so, um, I, not only were we able, was I able to sort of, uh, uh, expand what I can put out, expand my bandwidth, but it's better content. Right. So my process now is essentially I document stuff throughout the day. I've got my, my SMOVE, my tripod right here. Okay. I document certain things. That's why I'm videoing this.
3: Dude, Dave is so good at the (laughs) SMOVE. It's unbelievable.
2: Um, so I, uh, I document certain things throughout the day, whether it's me on a podcast or whatever, and then he's with me one day a week. That's our agreement. Um, so one day a week, I'll line up two or three different things that we're going to film. Okay. Um, if you'll notice in a lot of my videos, especially my Instagram, if you go to my video or my Instagram and you look at my videos, I'm talking with my hands a lot. I don't talk with my hands that's code to him to clip that. So he can get the video. He can fast forward real fast and look for Bradley doing this. He's like, okay, he wants me to clip that. He gets the raw video. He sends it to me. I title it and tell him what assets I want. Send it back five minutes later. I've got a clip that's ready to go.
3: There you
2: go. And, and so to, to kind of, to kind of do this for somebody else. So, my buddy Mitch Gibson has a local podcast called Inside Hancock County. Um, and I wanted to test my guy's chops. And I was like, hey, man, he like, Mitch, send me a, uh, your latest episode before you post it. He sent me a 25 minute video and I sent it to Grant, my guy. And I said, go to town. Grant took a 25 minute video and turned that 25 minute video into 48 individual pieces of content. And that does not include audio and written from a 25 wow. minute video. And That's crazy. That- now, before I had grant, my process was this: I would do- still document stuff throughout the day. Okay, I'm not a creative person. I promise you, I'm the least creative person you will ever meet in your entire life that also puts out content. Um, I found that I'm more, I'm most creative early in the morning, super early, no distractions, no phone, no email, nothing like that. Um, so what I would do is I would film stuff throughout the week or throughout the day. And then I would wake up about four thirty in the morning, which I still get up about that early, although COVID's kind of put a nix on that a little bit. Um, I would get up about four thirty in the morning. I'd sit down at my kitchen table. That was my content creation time, and I would create content for that day. And that was kind of my process. And um, it uh, it, um, it here's the thing: when you're consistently creating new content, you build up a huge content bank that you can pull from. So the more content you're creating and the more you force yourself to create it, the easier it gets. Because if I posted something in March, right, and then I post that again in August, not only have I built up 300 more followers since then that haven't seen that other piece of content, they think it's brand new to them. But if somebody remembers that from March, like hats off, you know, so you can reuse and repurpose stuff.
1: Yeah, I agree. You know, my process is really easy. I have to make it as simple as possible to get stuff produced. And so I had already decided that if nothing else, everything I do is going to start with video because video is the absolute easiest for me. And I've got one of those DJ Osmo pockets that I carry around, this little HD camera that'll fit right in the palm of my hand. Yeah. I use that sometimes. Sometimes I just grab my cell phone. But almost every single day on my way to the office, I'm like, you know what? This is something I should talk about today. I get out of my car, boom, hit the intro, and then I come into the office. before I turn the lights on. I go back and get a bottle of water, immediately come to my office and film whatever the content's going to be. Now, that's great, but I took it a step further when Hanley told me about Rev, right? So now I can go take that video, send it to Rev, let them do the transcriptions for it, I've got a Word document that comes back to me, which basically has a blog post in under five minutes for all practical purposes. Uh-huh. And that's really where the obstacle is for me is, is getting the actual written piece done. But you know, there's so many things that we can be doing. And with, with COVID, I really feel like agencies have missed the boat because they didn't double down on their content creation. They're more worried about being COVID experts than they are about the things that are really gonna matter going forward. And we did exactly the opposite. Now, I could fall flat on my face, or I could be wildly successful going forward because we took the time to, to create the content. But my theory is six months from now, I don't really see anybody Googling what is COVID, you know, what is remote workforce or any of that. People are always going to Google what is co-insurance, what is a time element deductible, what's my experience mod, all of those things.
2: Well, and here's the thing too, man. There's this narrative I'm starting to see slowly pop up in our industry and in some other industries because I spend some time in the real estate industry as well because we have a lot of referral partners that are, that are in the real estate industry. Um, there's this narrative that if I'm in insurance, I, I'm only supposed to put content out about insurance or if I'm in real estate, I'm only supposed to put content out about real estate and that's fine. If you're passionate about insurance or you're passionate about real estate, But what I think people need to do is I think people need to make content that they are passionate about, number one, and try to make content that brings value to their audience. One of those two. If you can get a piece of content that the two are married together, you've hit a home run. Okay. Bradley Flowers is super passionate about business. I love talking about business. That's why I make content about business. It just happens that I also have an insurance podcast. So I have a lot of insurance agents that reach out to me and I can make content geared towards insurance agents. But guess what? That content sells me a lot of insurance because business owners see it. It appeals to them. Realtors see it. It appeals to them. And guess what? If a client is kind of like the Chris Green thing, if a client has a choice between me and the guy down the street, I'm going with the, the guy who's an expert in his industry, not saying I am, but it appears that way to them, you know? And so I think people just, whatever, you know, if you're, the example I always give, if you're passionate about Star Wars, make content about Star Wars. Because the beautiful thing about our industry, especially PNC, is everybody has to have it. And there are millions of people out there who are also passionate about Star Wars. And guess what? They need insurance.
1: Yeah, agreed. It's funny because um, I actually proved this point to one of my guys. We were, we were out cold calling, doing marketing drops. I think I told you this story. I've not talked about it on the show yet, yeah. but we went in we went into a, a plumbing and HVAC company that's pretty good size and the CFO actually came out on a cold call, which blew my mind, but we talked to her for like probably 10 minutes or so and this guy was laying out all of the different things that, you know, we we were able to do and why we were there and and this that and the other and it was obvious that they were, we weren't going to get anywhere with her because they had just moved agents like a month ago. So I, I just told her, I stopped, you know, 10 minutes in. I'm like, listen, I just want to be honest with you. I'm not here to talk about that. I came because, you know, I own a podcast, the Bay Area Business Leaders. Maybe you've heard of it, Babel. And um, we would really wanted to come and have the owner of the company on because he is a Hispanic business owner, third generation, and there's a depletion in trades right now. And I really think it would be a good voice for him to come on the podcast and tell his story. It could help you recruit. I think it's going to be good across across the board. She's like, oh, well, he, does, he loves nothing more than talking about himself. I'm sure he'd be all over it. So the old man comes out and he's like, yeah, I'll be on whatever. Da, 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 da. One thing leads to another. We get back in the car. My producer looks at me, goes, you never told me we had a podcast. I said, we didn't 10 minutes ago. I had to figure out a way to get you out of this thing. And now we created a podcast. But you know, the truth be told, think about it. You know, For those of you that are producers out there, the only thing that has lower barriers to entry than the insurance industry is podcasting and content creation. There literally are none. So the only thing that keeps you from doing this is your own ability to think big and execute. And this is what I explained to my guy. I told him, I said, What better way for you to build rapport with the CEO or CFO of a middle market company in the Tampa Bay area of Florida than to bring them on for 30, 40 minutes, interview them, let them talk about themselves, their business, their family, the challenges they face, the wins that they've had, any of that stuff, and never even talk about insurance at all. Maybe you ask the question, maybe you say, you know, I'm sure you're aware that I'm in risk management for a living. And one of the questions we always ask people is as a business owner is, what keeps you awake at night? That's a perfectly natural question in that type of an interview. But what it does is it removes all of the animosity of the first appointment. There is no first appointment because you just had it promoting them and their business. And the other thing it does is it guarantees that they're going to take your call when you call them. Yep. So even if you're not going to sell them insurance on the air, although that would be an awesome podcast if you like <laughs> tried to close every deal on the air on a podcast. I mean, you'd really be rolling the dice, but you know, you build so much credibility, and it's like you said, just like the Star Wars example. Other business owners are my audience. Other business owners are my audience for insurance, and you know, I think if there's one thing that we've done that I it, with power producers that has worked exactly the way that I thought it would work is we have created a desire for people to want to come onto the show so they could have a stupid cartoon of themselves made. Now, I put a lot of effort into that in finding minute details. And if you look at each of these thumbnails and you really drill down, there's minutia in every single one of them that the person who was on the show gets, but other people won't pick up on it. And I do that because I want that person to feel special more than anything else. And people put videos out, they take pictures of it. We don't have to advertise the show at all. You know, they advertise it for us. So if you can take that same thing and create that level of competition to get on your show with business owners that are right in your wheelhouse of who you want to write insurance for, you're going to win.
2: It puts you in a, it, it, I don't like this word, but it puts you in a position of leverage, you know? Um That's that's content creation. Tip number four in my talk is start a podcast in your local area, industry, niche, whatever. And I gave that piece of advice, David, I bet 50 something times to agents. I'm trying to do this. What should I do? Start a local podcast. Interview the people you want to insure. And nobody did it. Mitch Gibson did it. He's the only one. Uh, So Mitch Gibson did it inside Hancock County. Guess what happened to him this week? He gets a call from the local news station. They're going to air his show on their channel every week and pay him. (laughs) Nice. All right. So, but anyway, I gave this advice over and over and over and over and over. And as you know, David, when you're in a position where people ask you advice, it feels like nobody takes it sometimes. And I started getting frustrated and I said, you know what? I'm just going to do it myself. So I started a little local podcast here about three months ago. Um, Purposely doing it low budget It's us and a camera. We don't even use mics. I literally just ordered my mics yesterday. We don't use my purposely low budget. Um, We. uh, For the sole purpose of I told you so, that's it. I want when I give a presentation to a group of independent agents in um, March of next year, I want to be able to say this is what we did and this is what came from it. Right. So we we posted the first episode uh, back in February, March, uh, February. I get an email from the CMO of a major corporate, major restaurant chain. Hey, Bradley, love your show. This is three hours after I posted the first episode. It had 97 views. Hey, Bradley, love your show. We have an owner down there in Mobile who uh, we would love for you to interview. He owns three restaurants. Now, I cannot explain to you how much this particular restaurant chain hits us in the screws with what we can insure in the screws. And I'm I've like freaked out when it happened. I'm like, yes, like, you know, so, and now literally what we're doing with it, man, like one of my producers in there will say, Hey, so one of my producers in there is like, Hey, um, I ran across this particular business. I know the daughter of this guy. We went to school together. I'd like to quote this business. You think I should call him now you and I know, the, the chances of us getting that meeting, it, it, given that situation, pretty slim. I said, call him and say, hey, my boss wants to interview you on his podcast. We get that meeting every time. 100%! Every yeah. single time. And the thing is, worst case scenario, if you hit him with the insurance, hey, let us take a look at your insurance, whatever your pitch is, right? If you hit him with the pitch after you're off air, worst case scenario, you're getting an X date sure you might have a brother-in-law problem right i got a brother-in-law but the reaction for most of the ones has been oh my god yes I, like there's no way we don't get the deal you know right. it's been one of the best things we've done and here's the thing um you're going to have other business owners watch it they're going to know about you. you're going to have other business owners reach out to you and want to be on guess what the cost to be on is it's a deck page it's some long yep. runs not that you would go that literal with it that's not my style but for all intents and purposes, and let's say you absolutely crap the bed and none of that happens. Terrible. You don't do great. You're not good on camera. It's it's clunky. You're going to build a whole lot of awareness in your community. And each of those 50 to 30 to 50 minute clips, you're going to have five to 10 small pieces that you can break off and turn into individual pieces of content. So this podcast can become the epicenter of all of your marketing where everything is derived from. It's like I use Joe Rogan as an example. And I used this before Joe Rogan made one hundred million dollars two weeks ago. But, you know, Joe Rogan <laughs> is the David Letterman of our generation. He's going to make more of an impact and make more money than David Letterman ever dreamed of. Most of the people who watch his show don't listen to the full episode. They watch the clips on YouTube. That's why it's so brilliant. He's moving the show over to Spotify. Nobody gives a crap. They're still going to watch the short clips on YouTube, right? Right. And so and he'll
1: still get all the ad revenue off of YouTube in addition to the, and that was part caught. of the deal
2: is he got to stay on YouTube. He just moved the full episode to Spotify. Nobody gives a crap. They're watching the short 10 minute clip. Dude.
1: <laughs> and by the way, some of Joe Rogan's episodes are like two hours long. Yeah. So I'm not going to sit here and watch
2: yeah. Joe Rogan and for you for two hours. same thing. So when you take each of these episodes and you break it up into short two minute clips, You capture the audience that's not going to sit and watch a full episode. You you attract attention for the show, and you still get your point across without having to drive somebody to a podcast channel to listen to the whole thing. So it just becomes this like living, breathing organism, you know?
1: Yeah, it's interesting when um, one of the things that it was either you or Scott that said something to me when we were when I was on Insurance Guys. um, He said, "Give it fifty episodes." I think is what he told me. If, I, if I'm if i not mistaken, he said, whatever you do, do it for 50 episodes. Don't quit. Don't look back. And we were talking about this right before we came on. You had somebody that you knew that was getting frustrated because they got a very small number of downloads in their first month. I've been very clear with Kyle what our expectations should be from the very beginning. I went in with none. Okay. I had very little expectation, Obviously, I've networked well in the industry. You know, I have a decent name for myself there. So I figured we would get some level of following. But my only goal to this point has been I want to double every month until we flatten out. And if I can do that, then I feel like I've accomplished something. I think that producers specifically and, and agents as a whole were so wired by numbers that we look at that number. And if we would have only gotten a hundred downloads in the first month. And I didn't understand the big picture. I can see myself really not being happy with that. But what I know is that if you're publishing an episode every single week, that turns into a massive snowball because now you have people who are just hearing you for the first time that are going to go back and download historic episodes and it's going to bump your numbers up. And if you, if you don't have those historic num- uh, episodes, then you're not going to be, I mean, nobody's going to come in, very, very rare would it be somebody's going to come in and download your first episode 5,000 times. It's just not going to happen, right, you know?
2: Right. Well, and a think is an individual person too. Those are unique downloads, I believe. Um, but the thing is, like, I think one of the keys to our success, not only consistency, but um, is we had the attitude and still have that, that whether we get 200, 200 downloads or 200,000 downloads, we're still going to be doing the exact same thing. If, if, if the insurance guys only had 150 downloads every month, we still would be doing the exact same thing we're doing right now, just with a whole lot less ad dollars. Right. And we'd still be doing it. Um, and that's what I tell people. It's like, here's the thing. Like, so I gave a presentation to, uh, uh, Ohio insurance agents on this. Uh, it was like the last th- It was the last place I traveled right before COVID. Like the day after I left, they shut the state down. And, um, a guy off- came off state when I, got done. A guy walked up to me and he's like, Hey man, he's like, what if I do this and only get like 200 people? I was like, bro, if we take those 200 people and put this in and put them in this room, that's a lot of people. That is 200 people that care about what you have to say. 200 people dude. like that's a ton, like stick with it. That's amazing. So it's not about getting 200,000. It's about getting the right 200. That's what it's about. That's the game with all this. Everybody, it's depth, it's not width, right? It, the, the key is not reaching a bunch of people, the key is finding the right ones.
1: Yeah, it's interesting too. I think a lot of people get concerned about how hard it is to produce a podcast and put everything together and do all of the show notes and all of that other stuff. And, you know, I'm going to give a shameless plug to my buddy, uh, Jason Cass, because he's put together a program now where if you're an insurance producer or you're an agency owner or anybody in any industry for that matter, and you want to produce a podcast, we got your podcast.com. You can go there. All you have to do is have a Libsyn account and a squad or whoever you use to record account. That's it. When we record these episodes, I have a Dropbox. I literally take the audio tracks. All three of them are recorded individually for editing. I take all three of them, dump them in a Dropbox folder and Cass's team goes in they do all of the editing all of the show notes all of the posting and everything i don't touch it the most effort i have in this whole process outside of recording the the episode and spending the time to do that is literally coming up with the artwork idea for the thumbnail <laughs> for the episode and articulating it in a way that it can actually turn out the way that i envisioned it in my head aside from that he has removed all obstacles whatsoever from being able to do it. And I think that, you know, if you're somebody who's who's looking to put something together in your area or you're looking for something, uh, a way to start a podcast, but you just don't have the ability, you know, you don't know how to edit and mix and do all of those things. Something like what Cass has put together at we got your is a very easy out of the box way for you to get that thing up and on the internet. Yep. Well, I'll tell you it's, um, I'm interested in what's going on with Portal because you and I have talked, and you're shifting a little bit in terms of what your focus is there. Yeah. Um, t- tell me a little bit about uh, you know your your thoughts and, and where you're headed. So you know I cut
2: my teeth doing lender referrals, personal lines. Um, we got really good at lender referrals before I left my last agency, and my intention in the beginning of Portal was to scale that and do it and have a team and, and, and where we could really handle folks, you know, really fast. But my intention day one, and you can ask some of my friends with portal was to do it about a year, get it profitable, which we were profitable in 10 months. Thank God. Um, get it profitable. And then I was going to shift my focus to commercial and really learn commercial, big commercial or not big, but you know, the 25 to $50,000 commercial, um, I know too many business owners and can talk the talk and, and help them with marketing and they can help me with so many other things that it just made, you know, complete and perfect sense for me to do that. So we're never going to not do personal lines because we pretty much have that on autopilot and it's easy production, but um, we are definitely making that shift to more of a commercial, uh, not a commercial agency, but building out a commercial department that's going to hammer down and, you know, um, I think we're going to make a significant impact in this market. I really do.
3: What's been? You know, the, go ahead, Dave. Sorry. No, you're good. Go ahead. Yep. I was just—I I just wanted to know I, one of the questions that I feel like we ask a lot of people who have have come from a um, you know different agency and opened up their own agency is what's been the biggest challenge. Um, and and you're you know you're going from you, you know primarily. Uh, personalized to kind of transitioning into more of the middle market, you know, big business, as you said, like what's, what's been a struggle for you or a challenge?
2: So no different than anybody else part, you know, I'm in a coastal area. There's a lot of ENS similar to you guys, mm-hmm. um, carriers that's been, you know, finding the right carrier for the right risk. You know, we're going after, I was, um, self-aware enough to know in the beginning, I was not getting a bunch of uh, commercial direct appointments. Um, I I didn't go that route on on the personal lines. We went out, we went after all directs in the beginning. We have to deal with a lot of wholesalers, things like that. We're now kind of circling back. We've got several really good direct appointments that we're working on and several that we've gotten, but just kind of putting that piece of the puzzle together You know, has been has been somewhat difficult, and then just running the agency. You know, in general, I mean, people who've never ran an agency or owned an agency to have no idea, like all the extra BS that we have to do, and Uh like I'm trying to do payroll today, and I'm trying to get it in. You know, it's just it's just those kind of business owner type challenges have been super super difficult. Um, A big one for me though, the first year. What I'm a I, I love projects. Right. Like my, our podcast is a project. You know, I set out in the beginning of the year this year, one of my projects was going to be I wanted to find a title sponsor for the podcast. So we didn't have to worry about paying the bills the rest of the year. Thankfully, we we, we accomplished that. Um, the hardest part of opening portal the first year was saying no to a lot of really great opportunities. That I just I probably could have pulled off, but I needed to keep my focus in one lane. I'm a guy that certainly does best when I have multiple uh, multiple balls to juggle, and multiple balls in the air, and uh, and it was hard for me to say no to a lot of that and focus on one thing.
1: So, yeah, Kyle likes to juggle balls. <laughs> juggle so many balls. I, I was setting you up, Dave. i was setting you up. <laughs> it doesn't take much. You know, it's interesting too because I think that that's one of the most difficult things for any of us to deal with. is knowing when to say no. You know, knowing what opportunities to walk away from, and that's what makes the most successful producers that I know of successful. Is they know it's time for me to walk away from this. I'm done. Um, you know, or don't even engage to begin with. It's not even that you have to walk away. It's don't chase that. Like if your goal, if your ideal prospect is you want service contractors that are going to bring in between $25 and $50,000 in revenue, why are you screwing around with this trampoline park over here that's got a national program you're not going to compete with anyhow? And I see people waste so much time on that. And and I had this conversation with a guy um a couple of days ago. He's like, "I just I need the volume. I need the volume." No, you don't because you're losing money on that volume. All you're doing is compounding a cash flow problem because it looks like you're writing business, but you're really not because there's no profit there. and in fact, you're losing money on it, so you're making your position worse. Go back and stick to what you're gonna do. Yeah, you know what it's it, it's I had a conversation with the uh, the marketing person from Chubb this week or last week, and I told her I said, you know, I'm never going to be the guy that gets you 50 submissions in a year. It's just not going to happen because that's not how we operate. What I am going to do is probably get you 15 to 20 submissions that are right in your wheelhouse, and we're going to close 100% of them. And I'm always going to have my volume numbers hit because that's how we approach it. We know that we're hunting with a rifle every time we go out to hunt. So it's one kill shot and done. And I think that you know we've been conditioned as agents that, you know liberty mutual is really bad about this um or they were historically i'm not going to say anything that they're bad about it now but the guys that i know that have come from liberty have talked about what their day looked like right they had to make x number of phone calls every single day because they needed it to get plugged into that formula and you know that's because that's the way insurance has always been sold if you're an insurance salesman go down that route i'm not an insurance salesman that's not what i do
2: yeah, I don't like the, I don't like the, hey, you have to, I've never have liked the, hey, you have to ask so many people about this per day. And I've, I haven't liked that since 2013. And 2013 was when I went to work for the captive agency and they had three CSRs in the office, true service CSRs. But part of their job was to drum up business and uh, they had to ask two people a day about life insurance, right? This is how they do it. All right, here's your receipt, thank you. Do you have any life insurance? Okay, all right, good. <laughs> the, the, they didn't care about the outcome. It was just, I gotta ask, I gotta ask, I gotta ask. And I don't like this culture of, I don't like this culture of like, you know, ask as many as people as you can, throw out as many business, no, like build a relationship with folks. Like, like genuinely, like, like that guy that she was asking about life insurance, can tell through the tone of her voice and the way she's acting that she didn't really care about him.
1: Dude, it's no different than going through a drive through at a fast food restaurant. My God, they offer you 15 things after you tell them what they want. You know, they're lucky if they get the order that you ordered right, let alone, you know, trying to throw all these add-ons. No, thank you. I don't want cinnamon churros with my <laughs> breakfast burrito. You know yeah, what I mean?
3: First of, of all, yes, King
2: you do. There's a Burger King next door to me. And when you go to the drive through the lady goes, uh, thanks for coming to Burger King, Burger King combo meal. What can I help you? I'm like, what did you just say? Like, you know?
1: Yeah, it's crazy, but um, you know, it's funny. So I'm going to, I'm going to leave with this and it it goes back to um kind of being aware of what's going on and, and knowing what's happening in, in the world right now. And um, you know, we're wrapping up going through COVID, but we're still not fully open anywhere in the country. Some places are worse. Than others. But prior to us getting on to record this call, I was on the phone with the president of a workers' comp carrier that we represent. And we were talking about some things back and forth, primarily because I wanted him to come onto the podcast and give some feedback on things from a carrier perspective. But one of the things that he he told me, and, and I would advise all the agencies out there to pay very, very close attention to what I'm getting ready to say, Scott Howell would say it in a different way you might want to write, you know, so anyhow, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, you guys need to pay attention to this right now. Claims frequency is down, you know, traffic is down. Um, you know, people aren't going to work workers comp claims frequency is down, but that goes with auto and everything else. And what he told me was that the comp carriers are now starting to see an uptick in claims because many of the carriers that are out there have adjusters that don't have anything better to do than review old claims files. So they're going back. Like this is specifically uh, regarding a problem with auto insurers going back to subrogate against workers comp for PIP claims they paid out on a work related injury. And Hmm. so they're getting hammered right now, you know, multiple times. He said it started out a couple of times a week. Now it's a couple of times a day. But these these are all old claims, and they're looking for revenue. You know, they're looking for revenue because they're giving these discounts and all of the other things. So, you know, that's just a, a nugget for everybody to chew on that I never would have thought of. No. So, anyhow, well, listen, man, we're we're coming up on an hour. We could go for another hour easily. I actually have to jump on because I'm doing a doing a live Zoom meeting with the cold blooded killers killing commercial. To uh show them it's actually a pretty interesting deal, man. I'll send you the recording of it when I record it. But um, I had an account that was referred to me yesterday by one of my existing clients by all practical purposes on surface is c- extremely pristine. Mod's only a 0.77. You know, it's about hundred and fifty thousand in premium. So we like that. But um the guy said, Look, I'm, you know, I'm not really upset with my agent or anything. I was just talking to you know your client and they said what a great job you do for them so I figured why not I'll go ahead and give this guy a call so a couple things number one, he volunteered that he wasn't upset with his agent so subconsciously I have to believe there's something going on there and the other piece of it is um, you don't make that phone call just for exercise you know so as I start looking into the program and digging around, I found about five or six things that I'm gonna be able to present to him that is gonna get this deal done for us that I can confidently say, we will write this account. And it doesn't renew till September. So you know, that's one of the cool parts about what we do on Killing Commercial is, I've got all these people that are wanting to move into middle market commercial production and start writing accounts like this. I have something come on, it goes back to your thing about just make content out of whatever you can. I just said, look guys, we're gonna do a Zoom call live. I'll record it, I'll pop it in the community. And I'm going to walk through exactly what my thought process is when I got this lead came in and exactly how I'm going to go about getting it closed. Yeah. Do I put a lot of pressure on myself? Absolutely. Cause if I don't write it now, I look like a schmuck, but I really feel like we will based on, on what I've seen. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I'll shoot that over to you. I would, you know, I would you love to see that. I, uh,
2: I have a really good framework for a renewal shop on personal lines when, uh, the reshop premium is still going to be more than the previous premium, and uh, I've some of my guys here that, that quote they quote the reshops and I'll present it. And the the first two I did this month, they were like, oh, "There's no way you're gonna you're gonna close this. It's not gonna happen." And I call them back. I'm like, "Hey, draw it up." They're ready to do it. They're like, "What did you do?" And so then the third one, I was like, I let the guy be on the phone and I didn't sell it. I'm like, "Oh great," but uh, yeah, naturally, right? Hey man, I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Bradley, thank you for being on. Tell them where they can find you, man.
2: Man, i uh best place to get in touch with me is actually Instagram. I'm the most active there. It's at Bradley Flowers underscore underscore, but I'm Bradley Flowers everywhere. So my email is uh, Bradley at GetPortalInsurance.com
1: if you need to get up with me. Awesome, man. Bradley, thank you for sharing your experiences, your intellect, yep. wisdom, all of the above. Kyle, don't talk so much next time. Okay. I, I don't wanted to talk or- at all.
3: Dude. No, man, you had a lot of great insight. I enjoyed sitting here, kind of listening to you like, rap a little bit with us. It was it was great having you on.
2: I'm ready to see a uh, cartoon of myself. You know what? The first piece of content I ever created was uh, my head cut out on a cartoon superhero. And I show that to people all the time because I'm like, that's the first piece of content I created. And it wasn't perfect, but it was cool and it worked because I created it.
1: Well, I'm actually getting ready to come out with a piece of content this week that it talks about don't ever settle for the first option and you always have to continue reinventing yourself and I'm going to share the beginning iterations of the power producer's thumbnail where I look like a bald guy from King of the Hill <laughs> all the way up to where we're at right now. It's crazy. It'll blow it'll it will blow everybody's mind that they are even remotely related. But right. it just speaks to the fact that I know what I want and I don't stop till I get it. And that's the advice that I would give everybody today. Bradley, thanks again, man. We'll talk soon, brother. Thanks.
0: You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.